and today I'm joined by AJ, and we're really excited to kind of dig into um, some things that we've been talking about a lot lately around our employee experience, specifically about how we can bring flexibility to our culture. But before we dive in, I want to introduce AJ. He is an out-of-the-box radical hybrid who's obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and employee experience. A current three-time founder, startup advisor, HR tech advisor, executive, and proud son. His rise within the world of HR and entrepreneurship is one that is definitely not typical, but his focus and dedication to putting employees first drives him to help forever change the world of work. AJ is currently working on a brand that will hopefully forever change the world of work, E1B2 Collective, which is a collective of brands and practitioners designed to make substantial employee experience within the world of startups and small brands. So welcome, AJ. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I probably have to change that back end. We're starting to get into some big enterprise companies finally. Um, so that's fun, too. But no, that was, uh, it, was a, it was a great intro. Thank you. Exciting. Great to have some another growing company with us. That's amazing. Yeah, 100%. Um, thanks for being here. We've been having so many beautiful conversations behind the scenes, and finally we're here to take the conversation to the real world. Yep. And it's been really joyful to kind of talk to you, and that multi-hyphenate that came through really strongly in your bio is very, very much how I would describe you. You're an expert in lots and lots of different things, which is pretty cool. But today, we're going to really be talking about flexibility and how to bring flexibility to our culture, as we mentioned. And we're going to kind of think about that through a little bit of a unique way when we think about diversity and how we kind of respond to the needs on our team in a flexible way. And so one of the questions we kind of asked you was, as a leader uh, yourself, but also the leaders you're surrounded with that are part of your collective, how are you and how are they understanding the diversity of needs on their team and how they can respond? So we kind of have a bit of a conversation here mapped that's going to be really fun to go through that kind of walks us through like what's needed to understand and how can we respond as a leader? Yeah. 100%. Sound good? No, it sounds amazing. Amazing. So um, I think one of the first things we talked about was getting really clear on the foundation of really checking in does your organization believe in diversity and difference? Does it actually, is that what actually drives growth? So maybe you could help us understand that a little bit. Like how would we know if that's a really core held belief that we have, that it's difference and diversity that actually helps us grow? Well, there's a lot there. And it's actually connected to what we were just talking about offline. So I'll kind of just probably piggyback up off that. And actually that was recorded. So maybe you'll loop it in. But um, so there's a couple of things. First and foremost, I made a statement yesterday that I it was it was in the heat of the moment, so I won't say it as bluntly as I said it yesterday, but I want to kind of paraphrase it a bit. Um, I, I, I don't know at a human level if globally everyone is ready to respect the elements of diversity that I think we are trying to push here. Um, we have to be very thoughtful about where individuals come from and their backgrounds and how how long they potentially have been ingrained in certain elements of racial divide, certain elements of doing certain things one way. And, and that's how they were taught. That's how they were raised. That's what they did when they first got their, their first internship, their first job. Um, and as they progress in their career. And I don't think human beings at a psychology level are, res- are respecting that enough. I know I haven't. And, I, and I'm starting to learn that. 
Um, and I think anyone that's focusing on DEI at an executive level or anyone that's focusing on just diversity broadly across the organization, you have to realize and understand that at, at a human being level. And actually, that seeps into like your relationships, right, with your partners, with your children. You, you have to... You, you have to realize and understand where individuals come from, how they're comfortable doing things. And that change management process is a very difficult one that takes a lot of patience, that takes a lot of empathy, that takes a lot of nuance. You can't drive that, 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 that initiative and that effort home uh, aggressively. Uh, and I think there's a significant uproar of companies, leaders, practitioners, blogs, PR, people trying to push this diversity issue um, to the forefront, which I love and I appreciate. Um, but it's a difficult one if, if you're not, again, comfortable with that change or ready for that change. So that's kind of just an overall uh, setting of the, of the tone, if you will. But to mm -hmm. get a little bit deeper beyond that, I want to kind of highlight on how companies need to realize the true business impact from diversity. Um, I think diversity blends into workflows. I think diversity can blend into marketing and product. I think diversity obviously can blend into how you recruit and, and organize and align your teams. Um, and obviously can blend into diversity of thought, perspective. Um, it can blend into uh, many, many factors. I mean, we could rattle off, again, prior to this official recording, we were talking about it. There's many categories. And so I think I'll start and then I'll pause here to see if you have any um, feedback on this, but I think we have to start there and reposition the conversation around diversity and focus on the business outcomes first and look at some of those pillars that I just listed off and many more, because that's that's the point of view that everyone can get behind, right? Everyone can get behind how diversity can impact business. Everyone can get behind how diversity can impact um, being more productive. Everyone can get behind how diversity can impact driving a more effective bottom line, not everyone can get behind the color, the gender, the the other elements of diversity. And and it's not that I, I don't want to talk about that. And I know this isn't technically the, 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 the conversation of today, but just broadly, again, I think if we can just reposition and repackage that focus and, and start there and understand that, then I think we, we can we can have a, a really thoughtful conversation. So I'll pause there because I have a lot more to say about that. But that, I'll, I'll pause there. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to think about it and frame it. Like, there's obviously all the intersectionality and the difference that we all bring, and there's ways to categorize that in intelligent and not-so-intelligent ways. But I think what we're kind of talking about here is around, like, diversity and difference from the perspective of, of intersectionality at a bigger scale, like a higher context level, but also, like, diversity of thought. Yeah. Difference in, like, creativity. Uh all of that difference is that is kind of more what we're talking about rather than like the race and gender and sexual yeah. orientation today. Yeah. So that's a really helpful frame. Um, and I think <clears throat> it's funny cause you said everyone can get behind that, but I'm not, I'm not sure that's totally true. Mm. Like sometimes we experience clients who we never, we're not in the business of convincing people that difference in diversity is what drives growth. Why we, we won't convince anyone of that. Um, if you don't already believe it, then that's where we'll, we'll start if you already believe it. Yeah. But I think the question that I'm always holding there is like, who will fly this flag and own that? Like, it can't just be the responsibility of a DEI leader. Like all leaders need to get behind this and believe that difference in diversity is what is going to help us grow. 
So what can you say more about that and like yeah. what, how you've come across that before? Yeah, so th- I've actually run up against that a lot with my own companies and the companies that we've supported where, again, kind of going back to the original theme, a lot of these leaders and practitioners grow up doing certain things a certain way. So for instance, maybe there's a leader in marketing or in sales or BD, business development, where when they got their first internship, they were led by a leader that was a one-way type of individual. This is how we do things. This is you know a, a top-down approach, and this is how we're going to go about these initiatives. Um, n- new ideas, don't want to hear them. Like you know, so diversity yeah. of thought was not something they were accustomed to. So again, kind of going back to the original theme, and I'll move on past that. But I do want to like kind of lock in on that. That we we do have to have empathy around where individuals come from, and starting there can begin the change management process. But I do agree with you. That on the client side and frankly on the, the people that I hire and that I partner with, I don't really have any energy to do the change management process at times. Um, I'm in the middle, though. I, I've realized that there is value there, but we'll, we'll move on from that to, to get a little bit more directly focused in assuming someone is open to hearing about the importance of diversity of thought and how that can impact the business. I think I get into like, for example, workflows like let, let's go down that like I think. What I've realized in my career is everyone has a different way of getting things done. And I appreciate and love the leaders that are more focused on the outcomes, not necessarily the road of how you got to that outcome. And, and, and that is something that I've worked a lot with my own leaders and a lot of leaders that I support and that I, that I, that I support, that I appreciate, where we need to look at how someone wants to do something, have a 90-minute conversation, 30-minute conversation, and just open up the books and say, look, here's how I would probably appreciate you doing it. But I want to learn a little bit more about how you've done it in your past role or how you're open to doing it and, and looking at the, the difference there and trying to find a nice blend between how the org and how the department wants to structure things, but how that individual may want to make different tweaks and adjustments. I see this happen in sales teams all the time where sales leaders may be comfortable doing cold calls, may be comfortable doing email reach outs cold, but maybe there's a younger demographic and some newer individuals in the sales force that are like, I'm not doing a cold call. It's 2023. I'm not doing a cold email. Um, I'm really great at Instagram. I'm really great at Twitter. I'm really great at LinkedIn. I'm really great at finding some online communities and being a part of the community and having organic conversations. So the workflow of how they got to having the sales meeting and closing the deal may be very different than their leader, but that leader from the advice that I'm giving needs to be open to, to looking at those differences, looking at those changes and be able to make that adjustment and not and not have ego tied into that adjustment, right? Mm. So so that's more of a tangible example of how I think that shows up in business. Yeah, that's a really cool way to bring it back to flexibility, like connecting it to the outcomes. So if leaders are really good at showing us where we want to go, showing us the outcome they want to see, how can they exercise flexibility with their team and letting them take the route that they need to take based on their difference and their diversity and their intersectionality to get to the outcome that we want to see? So that patience and flexibility is what leaders can really bring to deeply understand diversity on their team. And and, and, I'll, and I'll give one more point about it too. Leaders listening, you want your team members to be comfortable in the work that they're doing to be able to get the outcome that you want at a business level. I think too many leaders are trying to hire everyone that looks and feels and works like them. And when you find a way to start to hire different types of individuals that have a different workflow, 
it makes no sense to try to force them into the workflow that you are accustomed to because they're going to be uncomfortable and they're not going to be productive. They're not going to be efficient. They're not going to be engaged. They're not going to believe in, 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 the, in the best practices and in the, in the inner workings of how to get the job done. And so it makes a lot of sense to have those 30 minute, 60 minute, 90 minute conversations and just hear their mouth around how they want to go about things and, and, and obviously hold them accountable. Make sure that the plan and the roadmap is, is competent, is thoughtful, is nuanced, is detailed. But as long as they check all those boxes, give them a chance. Give them that, give them that, that rope, if you will, to, uh, to, to understand how they're going to inevitably get things done. And 90 days out, if it doesn't work out, if the way that they presided, decided to try to put things in place didn't go well, then obviously you, ha- you have some tweaks and adjustments to do. But at least give them that grace to make those changes. Hmm. I like that. We're talking a lot on like the individual level and how to kind of like lead and manage at an individual level. I wonder if we can bring it back to maybe like a bit more of the organizational level a bit and think about it in like a bigger context way around our culture. Um, We understand what we mean by diversity in the frame of this conversation, but how can someone actually understand what diversity means in their culture? Because everyone's going to have different levels of difference in diversity, right? So what are some ways we can kind of get that clarity about what diversity means to us? Well, let me throw it back to you since we're talking at the organizational level. Um, Let's like more directly define that because I could give you multiple answers. So from from the organizational standpoint, are you saying what diversity means as a as a as a as a stamp of the company? Are you saying how diversity can be blended into individual teams or what the policy is going to be like? Like, what are your thoughts there or how? Which, which direction would you like me to go? Because there's a lot of different elements we could go. Yeah, I think if we're thinking about where we can bring flexibility into our culture, yeah, we can only be really flexible with the unique individuals that are on our team mm-hmm. if we understand who they are and what difference they're made up of. Mm-hmm. So I wonder as a leader, if we were, and you are, if you think about some of the teams that you have, have you ever kind of done an exercise to get clarity on like what is the difference in diversity in our culture so that we know how to respond to the needs within our team yeah so and and i hate to bring it back to the individual but that but that is a little bit more of my personal approach right so i'll give you more of a grand example right so if i'm a ceo of a company and i have 15 20 different teams that are led by those those leaders of those teams direct level you know vp c-suite level um I'm taking those managers. I'm, I'm frankly, I'm mandating those those managers and those directors to go to those teams of five, six, and seven, and and really, honestly, have those one on one conversations. So a lot, a lot of a lot of my style and 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 capabilities are are um, what some would say not scalable, but I believe scaling the unscalable is actually the way to do things, right? So that's what I would personally do, and that's what I've done. I've I've told my leaders like. You need to go to the team of seven individuals that you lead and you need to have 15 to 20 minute conversations with each. But then look at the trends, look at the themes, because each individual is going to say similar things or want to are going to have a similar point of view around diversity and what diversity means for them. Because for that individual, there's diversity in how they want to get work done. There's diversity of communication. There's diversity of just overall thinking and perspective. There's a diversity of how they want to bring and generate new ideas. Um, there's a diversity of where they all want to go with their careers. And so I believe I want all of my managers to know the unique individual diverse themes for every single person and, and document that information. So use your HRS systems, use 
use a use a, a, a Google Doc. Do whatever you got to do. I mean, there's we don't have to get into the, the technology of it, but you should know as a manager across an entire organization. So every single manager, every single director, every single VP, every single C-suite should have a really deep, comprehensive understanding of what diversity means for every single individual across multiple themes. And they should be able to open up their computer at any given point, be able to look at that data, understand that data, and hold their leaders accountable to that data. Um, right. So that's kind of what I've done to try to, to try to scale it out, but also keep it very individual. Yeah, I like that. Like, what I'm hearing you say is there's a listening exercise that needs to happen yep. at an individual level. That yep. is the responsibility of our leaders. And it's because they're in service of their people. And that's part of their leadership responsibility is to get to know them on an individual level and take like a really full audit. Like what are the different needs of our people and how can we use that? And I think when we originally talked, we talked a little bit about some of the cultural rituals to support this and kind of keep it alive. Like the manual of me or the guide to working with me. Like this stuff doesn't have to just live on that Google spreadsheet like you're talking about, right? Like these can be part of like the cultural connections that we keep alive and keep the door open on and that keep us connected. Do you have any other kind of rituals that you could recommend to leaders so that they, once they understand the diversity on their team, how they can keep bringing that back in and really honoring the difference that we have on our team? Yeah. So once they do the original deep dive to understand, I'm a big fan of checking in every 90 days, every four months to see if there's any tweaks to those categories. Right. So are there any tweaks to how you want to go about decision making, your influence and your desire, your input around decision making, any tweaks to the workflow, any tweaks to your career desires, any tweaks to communication. I mean, again, there's a there's a there's a bunch of different categories that we can touch on. But are there any tweaks to them? Right. Let's have a conversation again every four months, every three months. Let's see if there's any tweaks. Let's see if there's any adjustments um, that need to be made. I also like to as as the leader of the company, I want to go to all the employees that can be done in surveys, that can be done in one-on-one -on -one conversations again, that can be done in a fireside chat, where I want the employees to be honest and to be vulnerable and to be real about, hey, my manager's not living up to supporting and respecting my, my diverse needs. My leader, you know, we've done the deep dive, we've done the 90-minute conversation, they know my desires, they know where I stand as it pertains to diversity for me exclusively, but I don't feel like they're living, they're living up to that. And then as a leader of a company, I need to look at that data and I need to make thoughtful decisions on whether this leader needs to stay, remain a leader, if we need to do some leadership training, if I need to have a, a very thorough, um, sometimes intense conversation with that leader to understand what the differences are and why they're, in, why they're not kind of diving into that contextual theme and nuance. Um, so to make it simple, again, every 90 days, I like to check in but on both sides. So I want to check in from the leader. I want to check in on the employee. And I want to make sure what we agreed to is actually being carried out. And if it's not being carried out, what are the reasons why? What are the themes mm. and how can we make adjustments and tweaks? I really like that because we talk a lot when we think about employee experience of it being like a bi-directional relationship. Like, or making promises to each other. It's not the power dynamic in the workplace culture has really shifted. It's people and employees are also in power, not just the leaders. Yeah. And bringing that agreement, that shared agreement of we're in this together, even into these conversations around flexibility and difference and diversity feels really right. Like, ask the right questions leave the door open for processing and keep the door open. But what I'm hearing you say is like, you have to actually take action. Just leaving, like having the conversation once is not enough. Like we need to keep bringing this back, keep the no. door open. And, and there's psychological safety that needs to get created with that, right? 
Yep, yep. You know, it has to be documented. It has to be tracked. It has to be data that you can that you can refer to. But then also, and you you, you made a good point on the psychological safety element. In order in order to even get the most out of those ninety minute conversations, that employee has to feel psychologically safe with that leader. That leader and that employee has to feel psychologically safe with me as the entire leader of the of the company or the department, whatever the case is going to be. And so having those moments where, well, well, first, let me back up. To be able to get to psychological safety, most times, more often than not, an individual showing an interest in someone's diverse set of needs is going to create that psychological safety, typically, right? Because most professionals have never had that ever. Like most professionals have never had a leader go to them and say, here are 15 different categories of how to get work done here. Uh, tell me how you want to do and, and live and experience each and every one of these categories. And let's just have a 90 minute, 60 minute conversation about them. Most professionals are going to sit back and say, uh, they're going to be in, in kind of that weird, like, uh, moment. Like I've had that happen. They're <laughs> yeah. like, they don't even know how to respond initially. You know, I, I had a moment with my wife where I did that with her because she was unhappy with, with her, with her manager at work. And the first 20 minutes of the conversation, she was giving some nervous smiles and looking around and didn't know how to respond. She's never in her life had a leader ask her, what do you want out of these little tiny micro elements of getting the work done? And what tweaks would you like to make to make you feel more comfortable, but also productive? So so that in itself should take should take the take the, the edge off and should create some of that psychological safety. But here's what a lot of companies mess up. They do that. They create that 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 humanistic feel. But to your point, then they actually don't change. They, they're yeah. not holding their leaders and managers accountable to that work. They're not they're not readjusting the leaders and managers. They're not training the leaders and managers, and they're not going back to those employees and say, "How are things going?" Based off of what we decided to put in place, do you feel like we've respected your diversity? Do you do we feel like you, we have done our part to make the adjustments and the tweaks that are needed? Um, more often than not, it's the one conversation and then that's it for the next six, seven, eight, nine, twelve 12 months. And um, that's where employees get pissed off. And that's where psychological safety takes a reverse effect. That's where they start to get very insecure, upset, and feel like they don't want to say anything. Hmm. Can, can, I, can I step in real quick? I just really love this, this theme that you guys are on right now and talking about how these conversations are only happening once. I think that there's a beautiful connection to... Um, I, I, sorry, I, I, I just really love um, the fact that you're talking about these conversations need to happen more than once and just the evolution of like somebody that's learning and growing. I kind of would love it if you could just speak more to that for a moment, like why these conversations might need to happen more than once. Yeah, yeah. I can speak Does that, that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I guess okay, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening and I really, <clears throat> my ears are perking up for that and I would love to lean into that if we can. I don't want to take too much cool. time, but. No, no, that's fine. I'll ask that question. So we create the bridge there. Okay. So we're speaking a lot about how important these conversations are with leaders and how we create the psychological safety. I really like your call out on the 90 day cadence because that feels quite actionable and there's some accountability there, mm -hmm. but how else can we kind of keep these conversations going and what's the importance of continuing to have these conversations with your leaders and your team? Yeah. So the importance of continuing to have the conversations because unfortunately Leaders also get very busy, right? And so they may forget. They may not have the right systems in place. Um, another, another actually thing that just popped in my brain, real, the honest real reason why I like to consistently have these conversations because 
we have to remember that leaders are employees too. And so let me actually jump down this rabbit hole because this has actually been coming up recently. Um, I often make the mistake where I put so much pressure on the leaders around this employee first methodology that I often forget that the leaders in the companies that I'm running or that I'm a part of are employees as well. So there are times where the employees are not always correct or right. Like, like for example, parenting. There are times where the kid messes up <laughs> and the kid triggers us. And it's not our fault as parents. It's not our fault as um, the authoritative figures here. It's the same situation, I believe, as managers and leaders. And so what I try to do is if I'm noticing that there's not um, a consistent change happening, even though we're having the 90-day conversations, on the manager side, I want to lean into the manager and say, is there something that the other executives on this team that can support you are not doing? Is there something where the employees are doing that we need to be thoughtful of and, and, and respect that are that's making your, your job harder to respect that diversity? So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but but I think we need to remember that leaders are employees as well. <laughs> and there are times when their direct reports are making their job to respect diversity potentially harder than it should or could be. I think that's a really good point. And you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like it's the organization's responsibility to prepare our leaders through leadership development and other kinds of trainings to be in these situations, to have these conversations. And some of that is like building self-awareness. So when they are triggered in these conversations and they become really hard, how do they respond rather than react? Yeah. What can they do to like be in service of their people in this case, but also where is the additional support for them? Because this is a really challenging, difficult situation. And even to bring it back to your first point at the very beginning, everyone's an individual, including our leaders, just like their employees, yeah. they're individuals who bring their own intersectionality. And what we find a lot of when we do leadership development work, especially is not everyone's had the privilege of having an amazing leader around them as a role model. So we bring a lot of our, our old stuff to our jobs and yep. we just act out what we think leadership looks and feels like without yep. getting clarity on like what it really is. Yeah. And so I like that idea. And I wonder if you could speak a bit about that around like, knowing we have difference in diversity in our culture and it's going to be what helps us grow. What are some of the kind of ways we can prepare and develop our leaders to sit in these leadership roles amongst difference in diversity? This is what I'll say, and this is going to indirectly answer your question, but I want to see if you can jump off this. This is what I'll say. We need to start by being thoughtful around if the leaders that we have in place should actually be people leaders. And I think we touched on this the last time we talked a little bit. Mm. Um, so I'll double click into this piece. I've been pushing very aggressively for this. Um, we're inside of departments. I believe there should be two leaders. There should be a project management skill-based, um, subject matter-based expert that, that is there to hold the team accountable, that's there to project manage, that's there for employees to go to and ask questions to get that, that subject matter expertise. And then I believe there should be a, a humanistic leader that has the same title, um, same decision-making bandwidth, um, the same pay, the same uh, authority, uh, but that individual focuses on having career mapping conversations, having one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, understanding and having the diversity conversations. Um, 
having the therapeutic conversation where they're listening and getting feedback and then looking at that feedback across all the different one-on-ones and bringing it back to their project manager, co-leader of that department and being thoughtful about that data and and making some some nuanced recommendations of decisions that need to change and be adjusted based off of that data. I've been pushing for this very aggressively. I've had a couple companies take me up on it and and I've done a little bit of uh, individual behind the scenes consulting work to help them put that in place. I'll just jump jump to the punchline here. It's expensive. I will admit that it's expensive to have two leaders at the top of a department at a department that have the same title because they're sharing titles. So it'll be you know a co CMO, a a co you know co VP like they, they, like it's the same pay, same titles, same structure. Um, so it's expensive. I'll admit that, but it's really really worth it because I've talked to the employees six months after, three months after they put that in place. And the employees feel so much more comfortable going to Sarah, for instance, that's the project management-based, subject matter leader-based expert. They feel so much, they, they know what to go to her for. They don't go to her for anything else. And they feel so much more comfortable. And the rapport and the relationship is there. And Sarah, on the other end, element two, she, she's amazing. because she's like, I actually don't want to be a humanistic-based leader. That's not my comfort zone. I really don't like people and I don't want to say this to anyone, but I really don't like people. I love what I'm doing here. And, and so it's a win-win and then on the other side, right? So I, I think, and I'll pause there, but I, but I think that's what I personally would start. If I was, if I was, if you dropped me down in the CEO of a company today and you said, Hey, our leadership is horrible. Like we need to fix this. It's causing significant attrition. It's causing turnover. It's causing dysfunction. That's the first place I would go. I would have a, I would have a conversation with each director, each VP, each head of the department, each manager, and I would say, "Do you want to be a people-based leader?" And they were like, "Well, what do you mean?" And then I would define that and say, "Here are the responsibilities of a people-based leader, and here's from what I'm hearing from you. Here's what I think you probably more likely are." which is on the other side of the leadership. And that doesn't mean you're not a great leader. It doesn't mean you don't deserve to be a leader in this company, but maybe we need to re- readjust and, and shuffle up your role a bit. Um, so I'll pause there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. but Yeah, I mean, I think that's super interesting. We have found a lot in the last year that companies are promoting people from within because they're asking for it or thinking that that's what's great for retention. But ultimately, they're not necessarily set up or developed or want to be a people leader. And it's a totally different skill set. And I kind of like how your anecdote is bringing it back to flexibility again for us, which is super helpful. All about flexibility. It's being flexible around the roles and responsibilities in our organization, too. Like, not everyone wants to be a people leader. Sometimes people want to just manage and be subject matter experts in a different way. And their skills are really the project management and the moving things along and creating momentum and all of those things. So I think that's quite interesting too. It's like, how can we understand the diverse needs of our leaders and how they want to grow and develop and where they want to grow and develop? It might not be in the humanity space of work. It might be in different, different areas. So that's kind of interesting. Um, But I guess what we're both saying is it's super important to prepare your leaders to deal with difference and diversity rather than just throwing them in, right? Like there needs to be some really thoughtful, some thoughtfulness that goes into getting our leaders ready to to deal with difference and diversity. And I'll say one last thing too. If here's something else you can do. So let's say you do that. Another thing you can do is you can be more thoughtful about how you promote leaders. So you go and have that conversation prior to them being a leader. 
They're saying no. I, I think, yeah, I think I am a humanistic-based leader. I like the definitions and the categories of that leadership responsibility. But maybe they've never done that before. Maybe it comes somewhat emotionally natural to them. They're attracted to it, but they've actually never done it. Don't just rush to put them in leadership position. Put them in trainings. Build an internal training internally. Um, partner them with, with a mentor or a buddy that is, that is a great leader from that humanistic point of view. Like groom leadership into that, into that role. I think it's a lot harder to groom a people-based leader than it is a project management-based and a task-based leader. I genuinely do. I really, really do. There's a lot more nuance to the people part. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I actually believe that. I'm like thinking. Because I don't want to yeah. discredit anyone. Because, yeah, the, the project management, the administrative part of leadership is very difficult too. But no, the emotional part, the, 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 the career mapping part, the, the skill development part, that's, that's very, very difficult because you're dealing with, you're dealing with so many different emotions and so many different needs and so, and, and a diverse set of, of desires. Um, yeah, that's harder. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm objectively standing on that. That's harder. Um, and I that's think really hard. Yeah, it's really, hard. I, I spoke to some leaders this week actually about this, and I think this is something interesting and then we can kind of start to wrap it up, but the, we move through our career progression starting off as doers. We don't start off as leaders. We start off as doers and we build up identity and, um, you know, value and being someone who does and completes projects and ticks things off lists. And then all of a sudden we're moved into a leadership role where now our job is to be in service of our people. A lot more of like a B space, a sit back, a hold space, be there for our people instead of doing, but we're still employees and we still have to manage up. And so there is still this element of having to do things. Everyone has to, it may be except for our really big C-suite folks. Um, and it's, that's really hard to manage. You're constantly flipping contexts and what is my role in this conversation? And now I need to go back to doing and how do I do that? And it's a lot of maturity and, um, a lot of need um, that needs to be developed in order to be a really successful leader who's in service of their people and can kind of keep the doing and control and, Manage their own energy, really. I guess. Yep, and the and the consultants out there, the firms, the companies like 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 the one that you're a part of, um, the universities out here, the training programs. We need to maybe open back up the books a little bit and say, are our programs right now really geared towards both type of leaders, and do we need to redo the the uh, the manual, if you will? Do we need to restructure the training? Do we need to be more thoughtful about what? Is what we have right now really geared towards a 2023 and beyond base leader? And and, and, and and is it split into two different directions? And can we be thoughtful about that? Um, the last thing I'll say, too, on this, C-suite leaders need to respect the diversity of needs and thoughts of their, of their managers and directors as it pertains to if the leader and manager raises their hand and say, hey, I need an adjustment of workflow here, Right. You know, you hired me to, let's say they do this whole people project, man, let's say they do that delineation. You hired me to be a, a people-based leader. I know I still have some core deliverables on my plate, but I'm not, I'm not able to serve my people in the, in, the, in the human part of my role because I'm two tasks with, with other initiatives here. I believe C-suite executives need to be able to give their directors and their managers that leeway to make that adjustment to make that tweak to their workflow, to make that adjustment to their to their bandwidth and, and be more open and, and nuanced about that. So 
that's another little slight, slight little advice if there's any CEOs or any, any high-level C-suite executives listening. Yeah, how they can actually bring flexibility to it for other people, too. Yeah. I love it. <clears throat> um, great. Well, thank you so much. This conversation about bringing flexibility to our employee experience and our culture, I feel like we got quite a lot of amazing gems of wisdom. So thanks so much for being in this conversation. 100%. I appreciate you. I'm going to pause for a quick second, Emily. Um, I, and I guess just ask you, AJ, did you get our rapid fire questions? Is that something that you feel prepared to talk about or no? I'm going to answer them. <laughs> okay. If, if, um, if I don't have an answer, I'll just tell you, we just wrap it. You know, let's do rapid fire the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm into that. And there's two questions that are around our eight leadership qualities. Okay. So, Emily, I don't know. Did you send that to him? It's all oh, good. Okay. I'm ready for it. I, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I believe so, but I think that it was, it was back in oh, one wow, of our that. initial, it was eight. Yeah. So, um, would you, would you want me to send them the eight qualities right now? I have the doc pulled up. That'd be great. If you could do that just so that I, he can reference it when we get to that question, the rest are very much rapid fire and you can just answer off the top of your head. Okay. Um, all, while we're in the pause of recording, when Emily sends you this PDF, it's our eight essential leadership qualities and they're all about being human and being a leader. And there's two questions I'll ask you. One is about which one of those eight qualities is your superpower or your strength. Okay. And which of them is your development area or your stretch. Okay. So the rest are very much, you can rapid fire. Those two, um, I'd love for you to refer to those eight qualities on that PDF, if that's okay. I'm waiting. I got my email pulled up whenever you're ready. Cool. Okay. Um, let me know when you've got it. That way we don't create too much pace here. Okay. I think this was, I think this one is uh, locked in here. Yeah, this feels really great. Thank you so much for being a part of it. It's awesome. I'm 100%. feeling good about it. 100%. Cool. Okay. Sent, Emily? Okay. Hopefully you've got it, AJ. <clears throat> I did not get it. You sent it to uh, Anthony. Oh, oh, here it is. It's coming through now. Okay, cool. I'm so gonna... give that give that a quick look and just think about like which one of these is my superpower, which one is my maybe my stretch or development area, and just have those ready. Um, and then I'll I'll ask you the questions and we'll get back into the recording. Yep, I'm ready. Okay, cool. All right, let's get back into it. Um, thank you so much, AJ, for today. It's been lovely to have this conversation with you. We're really grateful to have you on the pod. Um, and we always like to wrap up our episodes with our rapid fire questions. So are you ready to go through some rapid fire questions? I am. Okay, cool. What three words would you use to describe the future, the workplace culture that you'd like to lead? What three words, say it again? What three words would you use to describe the workplace culture that you'd like to lead? Uh, empathetic. Um, patient. And decisive. Love right. that. What three words would you use to define the future of work? Mm. HR tech. That's a two, two words, but HR tech. And I can explain if you want. Um, diversity. And then, um, ooh, uh, th uh, ooh, this is our rapid fire. Um, 
empathy again. I love it. Okay, great. Okay, from our eight essential human leadership qualities, which one quality is your superpower or your strength and why? One. Yep, which one is your superpower? Probably empathy. Probably empathy. Okay, um, say a little more about that. Yeah, probably empathy because very similar to the conversation today, um, every single one of my leaders that I that report to me or that I work with, every single employee, every partner, um, they, they'll tell you personally, the reason why I think we've had a lot of success is because I'm very empathetic to the way they want to get things done. Um, mm. I'm, ve I'm very flexible with, with how they how they execute. Um, I listen to, I'm very empathetic to their ideas and their thoughts and, and I test things out before I judge them. Um, there's many factors of empathy that I think can connect to like pure business. So empathy. Okay, great. Which of those eight qualities, which one is your development area or your stretch? Mm. Um, ooh, this is hard because I'm great at all these. Um, <laughs> no, um, I would probably say patience. Um, with a lot of projects going on at one time, um, and a lot of high expectations for everyone and everything, uh, patience is tough for me. Yeah, that's my stretch as well. So mm -hmm. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. <clears throat> what is your most treasured spot outside of work? Hmm. On the, uh, yeah, probably just on the couch watching Netflix with the wife. Probably something Love simple. It. Yeah. Great. Is there a person or a brand that you'd like to shine a light on today? Oh, um, I'll give from a company, I'll give from a employee experience type element. I'll give an example and I'll give from like just something I'm impressed by. So, um, I'll do the latter, uh, yeah, do the latter first. So, on the company side, just something I'm impressed by. There's a there's a the CEO by the name of Ronnie Ronnie Feig. Um, he runs Kith. Are you familiar with that at all? No. Um, Tell me more. Really high level um, streetwear brand. Um, he does a lot of collaborations with like every big brand you can think of, every major athlete you can think of. Um, really, really high level, tasteful clothing. Um, I just love the way he goes about his collaborations. Obviously, with my collective, I do a ton of partnerships. So. A lot of the themes and how I, I frame and structure my partnership deals honestly are driven from uh, Ronnie Kith's framework um, uh, with Kith. So uh, so that's interesting. Um, Ronnie Feig's framework with Kith. I said Ronnie Kith. Um, <laughs> but uh, then on the on the people of more employee experience side, um, I talk about this all the time. Very underrated. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk with VaynerX is incredibly, incredibly underrated. Um a lot of people don't do a, like a deep dive into like his business acumen and his people leadership acumen. Um, he put he put a, a chief heart officer, Claude Silver, in place. Uh, that was uh, literally the guiding point of a lot of the work that I also do now. Um, her role, I actually, that was a framework when I was ahead of people in for about five years. I kind of utilized that as well because she did not have a traditional HR background whatsoever. Um so, so that probably is my answer there. They're doing, a, they're doing a lot of great work on the people side. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. I might do a deep dive on that a little bit now. Yeah. All right. Last question. Arguably the hardest. Okay. 
If you had to pick one song that represented who you are as a leader, what would it be? Ooh, um, that is hard. Um, I'm horrible at like the titles of songs. Um, you can sing it for us if you want. You can sing it. No. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, that sucks. I might have to pass that question. Like, you mean like 12? I'm your backup here, by the way. I just want to offer. In the past, we've had guests go, oh, what is that? And they can give me a piece of a song, and I can look it up. So if you can give me a piece, um, I'm on your side. I got you. Nothing that would... I'm just going to give you a song that I love. I'm a big Coldplay fan, so any Coldplay song is amazing. Um, okay. That's A lot of people don't know that. I, I love Coldplay. I'm obsessed. I think they're very underrated. Amazing. Okay, great. Yeah, so, so no actual song. song. It's all the songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, Viva, Viva, I, I can't, what's the name of that? Viva La, V-I-V-A La, something like that. Viva La Vida. Yeah, Viva La Vida. There it is. Uh, that's an amazing song. I don't know if it really defines or categorizes my leadership styles or, or um, but but it's a great song. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much, AJ, for the rapid fire and for the conversation. It's been lovely to have you here today. 100%. And thank you, everyone that listened. Thanks for being here for another episode of Reimagining Work from Within. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts every other week. And we'll see you again soon.